So I know that um, most of you know my family, you know my wife, you know my three children, um, but I have a sixth member of my family that not everybody might know, um, and this is um, the, the only four-legged member of our family. Um, his name is Riddick. Um, that's Riddick. He's, he's a cute-looking dog. Um, and, and Riddick is a sweetheart. Uh, this is uh, Riddick cuddling with... Whoa, whoa, sorry, sorry. We're going fast. We're going back. There we go. Uh, this is Riddick cuddling with his buddy Sophie, uh, my aunt's dog. Uh, and there are moments with Riddick where it just feels like he is fitting right in with the family, right? And, and it just feels like on all sides we're gelling. Then there's some moments where we are trying to maybe elevate him to our level, and I don't know how well it works. Um, I always wonder what he thinks when we make him do human things, right? Uh, and there's sometimes where it seems like he's trying to drag us down to his level. Um, I don't know how he got his head in the dog food bag, but he would not take it out. Um, uh, and then there are some moments um, where it's just clear uh, that our worlds are struggling to interact. So um, my kids have a little dancing giraffe that sings a song, and Riddick does not know what to do with this giraffe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, this is my little buddy Riddick. Um, Riddick is a sweet part of our family, and, and we think of him as part of our family. But I sometimes wonder what he thinks of us, right? And we all maybe do this. If you have a pet, don't you sometimes imagine what the pet might be thinking? Um, well, I don't really know what Riddick thinks about us. Um, I do know that for whatever reason, Riddick has decided that I am his buddy, right? I'm like, Riddick thinks I'm the alpha in the family, which is great because no one else does, right? <laughs> but Riddick is sold on that idea. Um, and, and I wonder, you know, does he, as he tries to wrap his dog brain around why we dress him up like a bus once every year on October 31st and all the crazy things we do, does he think, boy, these are just some weird dogs I live with. I mean, these are some weird, mostly hairless, two-legged dogs who have an unlimited supply of food and therefore I tolerate them. I, I don't know, right? Um, but I, I recognize that on some level, his ability to wrap his head around us is limited, right, to dog thoughts and dog ways. So I come to this passage in Isaiah today uh, where God says, um, hey, there's a gap between you and me. Uh, and and I, I think it's reasonable that we would think of God as sort of a bigger, stronger version of us, not unlike I imagine my dog thinks of me as a bigger, stronger version of him. But, but my dog can't even begin to understand the stuff that I have to think about and deal with on a daily basis. And so God says, hey, yeah, you are made in my image. And, and yes, like, I, I love you and care for you as my children, but your thoughts are not my thoughts and your ways are not my ways. Higher than the heavens are from the earth are my thoughts from your thoughts and my ways from your ways. 
And so the best that you can do, um, my people, God says to us, is you can use your human thoughts and ideas and concepts to try to understand who I am, kind of like my dog using his dog thoughts and concepts to understand who his people are. Um, but the power and the, and the difficulty in that is that we're really limited, right? The, the best that we can do to understand God is always going to fall short of who God really is. Uh, so we get language in Scripture, uh, like God saves us with His mighty arm, which is beautiful and awesome, but we recognize God doesn't actually have arms, right? I mean, Jesus does, but, but in the Old Testament, God doesn't have arms, or we get language that talks about God being sorry He did this or angry that we did that. Uh, and yeah, uh, that's capturing something important, but God doesn't feel emotions in the same way as we do, right? He's not controlled by the whims of, of feeling like we are. Um, we, we even get Scripture that talks about God being like He all the time, right? But, but God doesn't have an X and Y chromosome. He's not a man and He's not a woman. And I, I said He both of those times. Um, but... but all of that is just our attempt to describe this being that's completely beyond us in terms that make sense to us. And that's what Scripture is trying to do, right? It's trying to communicate to us who this divine being is and words and ideas and concepts that we can understand. And, and, and yet, sometimes um, the veil gets peeled back a little bit and we hear uh, the, the Bible reminds us that, yeah, I'm trying to help you get it, but God's thoughts are not your thoughts, and His ways are not your ways. Uh, Diogenes Allen is a philosopher and Christian theologian um, who talks about this idea. He, he calls it the doctrine of mystery. And, and he says, and this is important, um, that it's the, the, the doctrine of mystery, the the fact that God is so beyond us we can't even comprehend who God is, it doesn't mean that we can't with certainty, with certainty know anything about God. It means that with certainty we can't know everything about God, right? And there's a huge difference. There are many things we can know for sure, but we have to recognize at some point that God is beyond us. Um, there's a, a beautiful um, relatively new Christian song called So Will I, 100 Billion X, and, and it, I think, captures this sense of the grandeur um, of God, that He is not just like us. Uh, and I want to play just the beginning of that song for you. Worship so loud. 
That uh, line, a hundred billion galaxies, isn't poetic license, right? Our, our scientists tell, you, tell us there are a hundred billion galaxies in this universe that God made. Uh, and as, as our, our, that song beautifully puts it, um, God simply speaks and His Word makes things happen. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, the, the extraordinary nature of our God who made a hundred billion galaxies and a hundred billion creatures is kind of beyond us. And part of what Isaiah wants us to understand uh, is first that God's not just like you and me. God's bigger than that. But second, if we wait until we wrap our minds completely around who God is, we're going to be waiting forever. We're never going to get there. Uh, John Oswalt tells a story uh, based on this passage in Isaiah. He says that uh, there were a mother and her two children, and they were out um, on a picnic by the river, somehow had missed um, some alerts, and there was a flash flood that came. And for their safety, they had to climb into a tree as the um, floodwaters rose dramatically around them. Uh, uh, as the flood continued to grow and the wind continued to beat down, eventually a boat came by full of folks trying to rescue them, and uh, the, the boat did its best to, to be stationary as much as it could in front of that tree, uh, and there was no way for them to climb down. And so the rescuers in the boat said, you've got to jump to us. You've got to jump to us. You can't stay where you are. And they're all three terrified, but eventually um, the, the woman's daughter jumps out of the tree and lands in the boat and the rescuers catch her. 
Uh, and then seeing her success, a few minutes later, uh, the son works up his courage and he jumps, doesn't quite make it to the boat, lands in the water beside the boat, but the rescuers quickly grab him and pull him in. And then the mother's left in the tree, and now the rescuers and her daughter and her son are both saying, um, you've got to jump, you've got to jump, mom, you've got to jump, they're going to catch you, it's okay. Um, but she's terrified Uh, And as she is waiting in that tree, trying to make a decision, there's this enormous cracking noise, uh, and the tree itself breaks and falls in half, and the tree and the mother are swept away by the flood. And John Oswalt says, seek the Lord while He may be found, that if you're going to wait your whole life until you have every answer to every theological question, until every concern or problem you've ever had about faith or God is fully and completely answered, until you can see the world with the same clarity with which God sees the world, you're going to be waiting forever. Uh, And that place which feels so safe and secure in which you are waiting may not be as safe and secure as you think. See, I think this is part of the message of Scripture is um, God's not like us. We're never going to fully understand all of His plans and purposes for us. Uh, And we sometimes think uh, that, boy, I'll just wait here till I get it, not realizing that the only safe place to wait is in the boat. The only safe place to be is with the God who has come out to rescue us and redeem us and take us to safety. See, we are called to learn as much as we can and then jump to Jesus, to seek the Lord while He may be found. And by the way, once we jump, we start realizing just how much we didn't really get in the first place. So we come back to the Gospel of Mark, and uh, the disciples are in a boat with Jesus, and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, this huge storm comes up. Jesus is asleep. Uh, They wake Him up. They're in a panic. Jesus, can't you help us? And Jesus just stands up and says, quit it, and the storm quits it um, because so shall His Word be that comes out of His mouth. It shall not return to Him empty, but accomplish what He purposes. Uh, And as the voice that made the waves, tells the waves to be quiet. They are. And then what's interesting is Jesus says, why were you afraid? And the Scripture says they were filled with great awe, or better yet, they were terrified. And they said, who then is this? Two things I want you to notice about that story. Uh, The first is they are terrified um, more so than before after Jesus calms the storm. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I'm sure they're afraid, but we're not told they're afraid. We're told they wake him up and they're in a panic. But after he calms the storm, then they're terrified, right? Then they say, who is this in our boat? Because we're familiar with storms. We're not familiar with people that can stop storms. Uh, And this question, who then is this, is the question that the disciples are asking throughout the rest of the gospel It's the question that we're asking even once we're in the boat, right? Even once we've made the choice uh, to trust Him with our lives, we're still trying to figure out who He is. He's not just the God um, who calms storms. Uh, 
the disciples are just as in awe when they meet Jesus speaking to a Samaritan woman at a well. They're just as surprised when uh, they try to send the kids away so they don't bother Jesus, and Jesus says, no, 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 let them come to me, for the kingdom of God is for them too. They're just as surprised when Jesus goes into the home of a little girl who has died and wakes her back up. And as they journey with Jesus, I imagine this question keeps coming up, right? Who then is this? What kind of person, what kind of God does this stuff? And as they journey with Jesus, I'm certain, uh, as you've noticed in your reading of Scripture, uh, that the overwhelming, striking part of His story isn't just His power, but His compassion. It's the people that Jesus chooses to be with, uh, those who He chooses to touch and uh, rescue and redeem. Uh, And that compassion for the worst of people, and yes, His frustration for those that um, the world might have thought were the best of people, shines through in almost every story about Him in the Gospels. Dane Ortland says it like this, we project onto Jesus our skewed instincts about how the world works. Human nature dictates that the wealthier a person, the more they tend to look down on the poor. The more beautiful a person, the more they are put off by the ugly. And without realizing what we are doing, we quietly assume that one so high and exalted has corresponding difficulty drawing near to the despicable and unclean. Sure, Jesus comes close to us, we agree, but He holds His nose. The risen Christ, after all, is the one whom God has highly exalted, at whose name every knee will one day bow in submission. But Ortland says, this is the same one whose deepest heart is more than anything else, gentle and lowly. This high and holy Christ does not cringe at reaching out and touching dirty sinners and numbed sufferers. Such embrace is precisely what He loves to do. He cannot bear to hold back. We naturally think of Jesus touching us the way a little boy reaches out to touch a slug for the first time, face screwed up, cautiously extending an arm, giving a yelp of disgust upon contact, and instantly withdrawing. This is why we need a Bible. Our natural intuition can only give us a God like us. The God revealed in the Scripture deconstructs our intuitive predilections and startles us with one whose infinitude of perfections is matched by His infinitude of gentleness. Indeed, His perfections include His perfect gentleness. See, we imagine God is like us because that's the only way we can think. We think in human terms and in human ways. And then when we think God is beyond us, we still mostly think in human terms and human ways about Him being beyond us. We think of Him being stronger and smarter and more powerful. But the most important way that God is different from us is in His compassion. See, you and I, we struggle to forgive people. Uh, And even when we try to forgive people, we have a hard time letting it go. It sticks around in our head. We bring it up years later. Oh, yeah, well, you remember that time when you did this? And there are some people in our life who say, boy, I can never forgive them for what they've done. And we assume 
that God works the same way. We assume that God says, yeah, I mean, I, I, guess, I, I guess I have to forgive uh, this human for their sins because I said I was gonna, but boy, I hope this is the last time because I am over their disgusting sinful choices. But that's because we imagine a God like us. The God of the Scriptures, the God of Jesus Christ is totally different. He never gets tired of compassion. He never gets tired of forgiveness. He never runs out of grace. He never says, this is the last time. There's no end to the, the unbelievable compassion that He pours out on us day after day after day. This is the thing that makes Him more different than all the other things. Uh, the song we heard earlier, a hundred billion times, um, So Will I, ends with this message, and I want to um, I want to share this bit of that song with you again. Out of salvation, chase down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created, light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Well, you lost your life so I could find it here. billion galaxies is pretty cool. 100 billion failures forgiven is a lot bigger deal. My prayer is that we would remember today uh, that the limitations we place around God are just that. They're our imagination, which He breaks apart in a million pieces, that God is infinitely more than we can imagine, and most importantly, His compassion exceeds anything anything that we could conceive of. Uh, my prayer is that when we would recognize the God who gave His life for us, loves us so much that He would do it again, uh, He would do it a hundred billion times if that's what it took to win His children back. And I pray that we might be a people today who are committed uh, to giving up 
on wrapping our minds completely around who God is before we make a decision to follow Him. Instead, I pray that we could be a people who would jump to Jesus and then spend the rest of our lives figuring out how much He loves us. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.